so we are uh, continuing in our look of Acts and um, reflecting Jesus in our world. And so um, today we are looking at Acts 3, 1 through 10. And you may notice, as I told you, that we're not going to be able to hit all of Acts. So we've skipped over verses 42 through 47 of the second chapter, um, primarily because it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And so we usually talk about it at least once a year already. And so um, this is where the early church is uh, beginning to really begin to gel. And the Spirit of God is clearly working in verses 42 through 47. And People are selling their goods, and they're giving away to those who are in need, and they're teaching, and they're um, listening to the apostles' teachings, and they're uh, coming together and breaking bread together, as we'll get to do this morning. And so um, all of that is wonderful, uh, but now they're beginning to kind of branch out a little bit more, and that's what we see going on here in Acts chapter 3. And so with that, let us read what Luke has to say. Luke says this, One day Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. And people would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. And Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look, at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we do come to you on yet one more beautiful morning. I pray, Lord, that it puts us in the spirit of remembering how we are called to be grateful. Grateful to you for all that you have given to us. Grateful, Lord, both in the days that are full of sun, as well as the darker days, Lord, that may be full of rain. Through it all, God, that we might give you praise, that we might continue to seek after how we might reflect you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, because we're having communion today, I don't have quite as long to preach as I usually do, which... I know, it's very disappointing for you all. Um, Did you feel the disappointment, Don? I didn't feel the disappointment, but I'm sure it's there, buried underneath. And so, 
So we're going to kind of dive in more quickly and, and, and think about this theme, right? The theme that we've been talking about of being a witness. What does it mean to be a witness? What does it mean to reflect Jesus in our world? And another way to think about that is uh, what does it look like for us to be a part of what God is doing as we pray in the Lord's Prayer to help his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Right? And that can be kind of nebulous to know what exactly that means. What exactly does God's kingdom mean? And, and so perhaps one of the ways to look at it is to look back at the Hebrew word, a word that we see quite a bit in the Old Testament that you're familiar with, I'm sure, the word shalom, right? Which means peace. And, and this, of course, as you've probably heard before, this means more than just a lack of war. Uh, this peace, this sense of peace is more of a holistic understanding. This is when everything is kind of hitting on all cylinders, if you will. You're doing well personally. The, the community around you is doing well. You're doing well in all different facets of life. There is this wholeness where everything is flourishing and moving forward, where God is being given the glory where people understand who they are, where they understand who God is. And so there's this whole sense of what it means to be a people of shalom, what it means to be reflecting God's kingdom, what it means to reflect Jesus. And one of the things as I was looking over this pretty short passage, uh, just 10 verses, is the reality of how many different types of shalom we see happening in this fairly truncated, or fairly uh, a short, pithy passage, if you will. Just 10 verses, and yet Peter and John are reflecting Jesus in a dramatically, or a dramatic way. So let's, let's talk about what I mean by that. First of all, of course, and this is the one that most of us see very quickly, which is the physical healing, right? God desires, in God's kingdom, we hope that all of us will be whole Physically, And this is the one, of course, that stands out most dramatically in this particular passage. There's Peter and John, and they go and they see this man. He's been lame from birth, we are told, and he's there. And, of course, he's looking for money, right? He's looking for money, a way for him to be able to eat or perhaps a, a way for him to be able to afford to live someplace. And so there he is, and, and Peter and John say, sorry, we don't have any money for you. Silver and gold have I none. Does everyone know, anyone know that song? You guys are not being very helpful today. Should we sing it? Don doesn't know it either, so we're not singing it. All right, so. <laughs> Silver and gold have I none, but such is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. There's Tara. Thank you, Tara. There's one. All right, good. We'll do a duet for the 1030. How would that be? All right, so. So he has no silver or gold, right? This is why you learn these songs as a kid, and then you remember the story, right? So there's no silver or gold, but clearly he's got something much better for this man, right? Much beyond what he could ever have imagined. And sure enough, he says, in the name of Jesus, you are going to be healed, basically. And he lifts him up, and his, ankle, his ankles and his feet are immediately made strong, and he stands up. Right? And just like that, a man who from birth has been lame, all of a sudden is made whole. He has a sense of being phys of physical shalom, if you will, physical wholeness. It's this beautiful story, right? And we all love the story. Now, the trouble with the story, the part that makes many of us uncomfortable at times, is the fact that while we love that and we wish we could see that, truth be told, the majority of us will probably never see something that miraculous, right? There will be some of us who, who see that, but most 
of us want, which can be a bit of a struggle, really, right? And I feel like I need to address it just briefly here, because otherwise we're just kind of mulling over it, acting as if it's not even there. And this is one of the hard parts sometimes about being a witness, is that sometimes we don't have the answers to everything. Uh, we've talked about the, the reality that sometimes it's hard for us to witness because we're afraid, or talk about Jesus, we're afraid someone's going to ask us a question that we don't know the answer to, Right? Inevitably, if you are actually a witness, there will become a time when you are asked a question that you don't have the answer to. And do you know why that is? Because you're not God. Right? And so that's okay. Right? And so one of the things is I've wrestled with these kinds of questions about healing or why does God heal some and not heal others. It's probably the most difficult or one of the most difficult parts of being a pastor is, is sitting there with a family of someone who's passed away and and. and who God didn't heal right then physically. And one of the things that I've kind of learned over the years, and this has been a challenge to learn, it's still a challenge, is that sometimes the greatest witness that we can be when it comes to the kingdom of God is not by trying to give trite answers to why something happened, but is simply to be with people in the midst of their mourning and in the midst of their questions and to admit that for many of us, God's kingdom has not come quite as quickly as we would like. But that said, the reality still is, it seems to me, that we have much that we can do when it comes to bringing physical shalom to our community and to our world. For one, we do pray because we do see those times when people are healed, either miraculously or over a longer amount of time. And in those moments, we give God praise. But there are also other times that we can continue to bring physical shalom to our communities. We see this, you guys already know this, through the food pantry that we have here Thursday nights and Friday mornings. Right? We're giving away shalom. We're giving food so that people can eat and be nourished and have some sense of wholeness. We do it in the shepherd totes that we do every Christmas where we give food to children who may not be able to eat during their Christmas break. We do it a couple weeks out of the year when we, ho when we uh, house homeless people here and we give them food, and we give them someone to play around with, or the kids to run around with, and we give them a place to stay, right? This is thinking about physical shalom, but, but we also do it. Many uh, folks here at ZPC do it in what they are, their profession is every day of the week, right? Doctors and nurses and pharmacists and physical therapists, all of those of you who are in those fields, I hope that you understand that what you are doing is you are joining God's kingdom and helping to bring physical shalom to people. And I know because I talk to different doctors, there are times, right, when it's a struggle. Well, this isn't what I got into. It's become so businesslike now, right? It's all just getting through the patients or doing that. Well, then just shuck that away, if you will. I don't even know if that's a word, but it's just shuck it away, if you will, and do this, right? In the midst of that, even if you're having to do that, wake up each morning committed to say that when we go in, we are going to look at each person as if they are a child of God, and we are trying to bring physical shalom to this person. Begin, if you can, I hope that you're already doing this, looking at it through that particular lens. It is a gift to be able to be a part of the kingdom of God. What you were doing is something that was started by Jesus 2,000 years ago, continued with Peter and John, and continuing now to where you are of trying to bring physical wholeness to those who are in need. And we give thanks for those who are in that profession. Amen?
So yes, clearly, physical shalom is something that we see going on in this particular story. This is one way that Peter and John are helping to reflect Jesus. But there's also, of course, another way, which is that they're also helping to reflect Jesus by bringing spiritual shalom right there to this man. Now, it may be, uh, it may be helpful to know, if you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, in John chapter 9, uh, there's a story of a man who is healed uh, of his blindness. And so, and so before he's even healed, the disciples are there with them, and they ask a question. And here's the question that they ask of Jesus. They say this, Who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, there's a certain assumption made in that question, right? Which is that the reason why this man is blind, the reason why he's somewhat physically handicapped and not whole, is because somebody has sinned, right? And in that time and in that place, by and large, if you were hurt or if you were physically injured in some way or if you were handicapped in some way, the reason is because there was some separation between you and God, right? And so, think about this. Whenever it is that Peter and John help in the healing of this man, all of a sudden, not only is he able to walk, but now he has been made whole in his relationship with God, right? Think about this. If we had told this story, if we were telling this story instead of Luke, what would we say when we were telling the story? We would say, and all of a sudden, the man was made well, and he was healed, and his ankles and his feet were strong, and he was running around, and more than likely, we would then say the end. Why? Because that's pretty remarkable. But what happens in this particular story? As soon as he is made whole, what does he do? He walks, he leaps, and he praises God, right? Now, this is actually another song. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this song. He was walking and leaping and praising God. What are we doing in VBS these days? We're going to switch some songs up. So, walking and leaping and praising God, and then where does he go? Into the temple, into the place where God was understood to be, into the presence of God. He had been kept out for all of these many years, and now that he is healed physically, he, Peter and John help him to understand that, that now he's ushered in, right? So not only is he experiencing this physical wholeness, he's also experiencing this spiritual wholeness. All of a sudden now, this man who probably thought that he was not loved by God because for some reason he felt like he was created like this and there's nothing that he could do, all of a sudden this man who thought that there was a separation that he would never be able to actually have a relationship with God, and that moment, all of a sudden, then he is made whole. And of course, a part of what we do as witnesses to Jesus Christ in this community is to help in order to try to bring spiritual wholeness to our community. Now, the reality is, I have a feeling that there's a lot of people in our area who are wrestling with and feel spiritually isolated from God, but that we all too often do not even notice. We'll talk about this again here in a few minutes, but we, we are great as a culture, and in our area we are really good at faking as if everything is great, and that includes our relationship with God. It even includes, quite frankly, some people who come to church at times, right? We have this sense, right? And so one of our calls, it seems to me, is to be intentional and to be intentional about how it is are we creating space for people to be able to connect with God, to bring spiritual 
total shalom. It's why we have worship every Sunday, right? We don't just do it because we have nothing else to do. Who, who, who has something else that they could be doing right now? He's the only honest one here, right? We all have something, even if it's just laying in bed right now. We all have something. But we come here because we want to be reminded of who God is, of who we are, and of who we are in God, right? Why did we do last week confession and forgiveness, right? It's bizarre, confession and forgiveness. Who does that? The church does it because we believe that it is through confession and through forgiveness that we are given more, that we are, our, our wholeness with God, our relationship with God is, 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 is created anew and renewed again and again. We grow in our faith with God because of those things, right? And so we need to be aware of that, it seems to me, because here's the thing. I think that the more that we help to create a space where other people can renew their faith in God, not only does it help them, it also helps us when we come into worship, right? Because when we're surrounded by people who are walking and leaping and praising God, it might at least cause us when we come in here on Sunday mornings to smile, I mean, I don't want to push us too much to say that we'll do too much leaping or even walking perhaps, but, but I at least want us to come in here as a people who say we have been made whole with Christ. That should at least make us sing one or two lines of a song. Which one? Yeah. Quite frankly, we'll take any song. Right? But we come and we are renewed and we are excited because... Is this for me? Because we are excited, right, because of the spiritual shalom. So physical shalom, spiritual shalom. But there's another thing. I tell you, this, this, this passage is, is great. There's another part that we see here, and that is communal shalom. Again, there is a sense we have all been created. We believe that we serve a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is in community. And if we have been made in the image of God, right, then we have been created for community right? Not to be isolated, okay? Remember, this man, he is simply brought in every day, dropped off, and there to just try to get money. Think about what must happen to him every time, whether someone gives him money or not. Every time he, someone walks by, they give him money, they walk through the gate. Guess who cannot walk through the gate? That man. So every time, think about that stark reminder of how you are isolated from what everyone else, it seems, can do. Right? It reminded me a little bit of, of when you're a kid, right, and you've got two captains, and you're standing on this line, and they're beginning to pick teams. And every time they pick someone's name that's not yours, right, it just gets you a little bit more and more sad until all of a sudden you realize that you are the only one left. I've heard that's really difficult. <laughs> no, it is difficult. When you're the only one stuck, that sense of isolation, that sense of separation. And so a part of our call as church and reflecting God's kingdom, if we know that we've been made for community, it is to help to cultivate to help to witness in such a way that we are inviting people into relationship, into community. 
This past week on um, uh, Sunday afternoon through Tuesday, I was in Oklahoma City, or no, I'm sorry, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma for a couple of days for a board meeting of, of the Outreach Foundation. The Outreach Foundation is this mission organization that we sponsor. They do, they do really great things, it seems to me. Uh, they connect churches in America, primarily Presbyterian, though not only, with, with churches and, and what's going on across the globe. And so some of the work that we've been doing in Brazil has been through the Outreach Foundation. Uh, you may remember we gave um, some money for, uh, for Syria, for the Christian in Syria to help them. Uh, that was through the Outreach Foundation. And one of the staff members, a guy by the name of Juan Sarmiento, he, uh, he was giving his report, if you will, and, and he had, um, not long ago, he'd gone to Ghana, Ghana in West Africa. And, and, and there in some of the villages, probably on the outskirts of Ghana, um, there, there's this tradition very much kind of like what we see in our own scripture passage, where uh, if something goes wrong, Let's just say if someone's husband dies, um, it is assumed that somebody else did something wrong. And oftentimes, uh, who is, those who are indicted are, are the wives, and it's assumed that they must be a witch. And so what they do is they take a chicken and they throw it up and they flip it, it goes, flips around. If it lands on its back, I forget the exact details, but let's just say if it lands on its back, um, then the person's a witch. If it lands on its front, then they're not, right? And in those moments, when it, when it lands on the one that says they are a witch, that particular person, again, this happens more with women than with men, they are, they are cast out of the village, which for them means it's very hard to, to eke out any kind of living. It's very hard to survive as a whole. So the, the Presbyterian church in Ghana has begun to kind of come up with these villages, right? And you can see the picture here of one of these villages. It's a little blurry. I apologize for that, but these little huts here. And what this area does, what this place does, is it gives people, it gives these women and, and some men and their children, it gives them a place to stay. It gives them shelter. It gives them food. And then they begin to teach them things so that they can begin to uh, kind of make their own living, if you will. It teaches them skills. And then they also continue to work slowly but surely trying to help them uh, to get back into their village. It begins to work with the leaders of the village to try to say, can we please put them back in the village, back where they probably were born and raised, right? We have another picture here, I think, of, of children there that uh, these are a couple of kids that are a part of these camps that they call them. And and now, you can imagine, if you were one of those women and you were ousted out, and then all of a sudden, someone gave you hope, someone gave you a sense of community, what might you do? You'd probably do something very similar to what the lame man did, right? And so we got this little video to see, just someone kind of celebrating this. This is very short. Can we show that here real quick? Let's show it one more time. Most of us may not know what that is like, but I'm here to tell you that if you had been that isolated, and all of a sudden you were given hope and you were given food and you were given shelter for you and your children, guess what? You would be dancing and laughing and praising God. Amen? But here's the truth. This is not just true for Ghana. It's also true in Carmel and Zionsville and North Indianapolis. There are many in our midst who feel isolated, but, but again, we are really good at fooling people into thinking that we aren't. 
right? We, we, we do it, as we said last week, a little bit, you know, by, by watching television that gives us a sense of, you know, that we're a part of some kind of community, right? We do it by being busy, right? We do it by various and sundry ways, but what we don't want to do is we don't want to make people think that we are isolated or that we are alone. And so we do as many things as we can to try to fool ourselves and to fool others. And so for us, for the church, if we want to be able to help these people who are hiding, sometimes it's us, quite frankly, who are hiding their isolationist, their isolationism, if you will, what we have to do is we have to be more proactive. This is why we're always talking in here about going out and reaching out. We have to begin to be more and more invitational, right? We have to reach out to people in order to try to help those who feel like they are separated and yet don't want anyone to know. One of the ways that we do that is by inviting people. I love the word invitation or inviting people, right? This is not new. I don't know if you know this or not, but all the way back uh, when Jesus was around, he was inviting himself into other people's lives. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Who remembers that song? All right, finally. Okay, good. Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus is wealthy. My guess is, from everybody else's perspective, he seems to be happy because he's got all this stuff. Every post that anyone ever sees on Facebook, he's just smiling on vacation somewhere. What does Jesus do when he sees him up on the tree? He doesn't just kind of say, oh, hey, how you doing, you know, and move on. He invites himself over for a meal. He invites himself into his life, and because he does so, everything about Zacchaeus' life all of a sudden is made clear. Everything is, is kind of proven bare, right? Everything is all of a sudden, right? The fact that Zacchaeus isn't actually happy, that this isn't everything he had hoped it would be, right? His isolation, his, his being isolated all of a sudden comes to bear, and all of a sudden he has community, and it changes everything for Zacchaeus. See, I think that we have to continue, and so we will continue to push for us to be proactive and to be inviting. You don't have to actually invite yourself into someone's home. You can, but you can invite them into your home, right? That's why we talk about what we do in our neighborhoods, because that's oftentimes where people are who are kind of hidden away, if you will, right? But we also, of course, are invitational here. When people come in, we want to be inviting them into our conversations and into our lives. This may interest you. It may not, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Ways, which is in our home groups, right? We kicked them off, maybe it was three years ago or two and a half years ago. But in the last couple of years, I would say, and I didn't actually count this, but I, I'm, I, I'm not prone to exaggerating, so I think I'm pretty realistic. About 85 to 90% of the people who have joined home groups, guess what? They did not join by signing up on our board. They joined when someone invited them. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody who's in a home group felt isolated before. No, no, no. But I do think what it means is that we are searching for community, that we want community, but we will not, most of us, say, hey, I'd love to do that, right? And I get it. If I were sitting out there in the chairs and someone was talking about home groups, right, I would more than likely, I would not sign up, right? I'd be like, I don't need community. I'm good. I got my kids. I got work. I'm fine. Until someone said, hey, you want to be a part of my home group? I'm like, absolutely. You know I do. I've been waiting for that. Right? Invitation. Right? Why? Because we were made for community. So we have 
physical, spiritual, communal shalom. And there's, there's one last thing that I think it's critical for us to see. And this is what, what is perhaps one of the more interesting parts because it stands out in this story. Peter and John, Luke tells us, they didn't just look at the guy when they came in. It's told that he looked, they look intently. Right? Which if you're that guy, you know, that's it's probably a little awkward, right? I don't know if anyone's ever walked up to you like that and they've just been staring at you, right? And you're like, someone actually did that a few weeks ago to me. And I was like, oh man, I'm supposed to know who this is. I don't know who this is. It's very awkward, right? And, and so you get kind of nervous, right? And there they are and they're staring at him intently. But not only that, they tell him to look at us. Right? This is, I'm telling you, this is beautiful. I wish that we could have this in a video because I want you to know that this is remarkable. Think about those people that you know who are either down and out or who are struggling. Or think about the times when you have been struggling or depressed or ashamed or embarrassed. Guess what you don't ever want to do? You don't want to look at people, right? You just kind of look down. Your whole kind of posture is looking down, right? When people have been looking at this man over these many years, he is an object to them, whether a good object or a bad object. But when you look at someone face to face, as we did last week with forgiveness, all of a sudden, that person is no longer object. That person is a subject. That person is somebody with meaning. That person is someone who is created by God. And so you see, not only have they brought physical and communal and spiritual shalom, they have brought almost this emotional shalom, this sense of you matter by simply saying, we are not going to walk past you. We're not just going to be like, okay, you're healed. Let's move on. We are going to look deeply into your eyes. And the more I thought about that particular scene, the more it made me also begin to think how important it is for us in our faith to see one another face to face and eyeball to eyeball, to know to know that we are important in this journey of faith. And this isn't the only time that we see the importance of physical community, right? We also see it and as soon as he's healed, right? In the process of him being healed, what does, what, is, what does Peter do? Does Peter just say, hey, get up? Peter reaches down his hand. He grabs a hold of him. Who knows how many people have ever touched him other than dropping him off and picking him up? He reaches down. He picks him up. And when they go to the temple, who goes to the temple? Is it just this man? Hey, that's great. Go on out to the temple, Peter and John say. No, no, no. Peter and John go with him, worshiping together. Now, I don't want to make too much out of this, but I, I don't think it's too much to say that one of the things that this small, compact story tells us or reminds us is the absolute importance in our journey of faith 
As followers of Jesus, the one who came to earth and was made flesh so that he could be with us, that in order for us to do that, the importance of actually physically seeing and touching and hearing from one another in our journey of faith. A part of the reason why I bring that up is because a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago or so, I, was, uh, I heard about how one of the senior pastors, the senior pastor of one of the largest churches in our, uh, in our area, if I said what it was, you'd be like, oh yeah, I know that church. Of course you do. That he said that they had begun tracking the children, and how often the children, I think, and their parents were coming. Perhaps, I don't know this for sure, but because those are the easiest to track, really. And what they discovered is that on average— They were coming one out of four Sundays. That most folks are coming one out of every four Sundays. Now, I don't say that in order to say, ha ha, mega church. Our folks are averaging 1.2 times every four Sundays. I don't know what our number is. I do know that a session and staff, we talk about this with some regularity. The struggle of people coming regularly. And I also don't tell you this in order to try to guilt you. Right? I don't want you just coming because you're guilty. I mean, for one, I know that it wouldn't work. Right? And for two, I know that it's hard to walk and leap and praise God if you're weighed down by guilt. I have no desire to do that. I do say it, though as a way of inviting you to remember. Inviting you to remember how important in our journey of faith it is to actually see and touch one another. Right? I know that live stream worshiping, that, that's a great thing and for many folks, I suppose. In fact, my own mother keeps asking when we're going to do it. I know the sermon podcast, those might be wonderful things. I want you to know that those things are convenient. But I also want you to know they are never a substitute for genuinely being with one another. And if we want to continue to be shaped into a people who are bringing shalom physically, spiritually, emotionally, and communally, That's not easy work. And the way for us to continue to grow in that ability is in our being with one another, challenging one another, encouraging one another, supporting one another. And we can't do that virtually. It happens by being together face to face. The physical is important. It's one of the reasons why when we do communion here, right, I'm, I'm not sending you all a gift Everyone know what a gif is? I'm not sending you a picture of it. Right? I'm not sending you a text with words that say, hey, remember. No, 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 no. When we gather together, we, we grab the bread. It's real. It's a real cup. And we do so because we believe that the physical matters. And as we gather together, we remember the brokenness of God. That how Christ was broken for us in order to bring wholeness. And so we're reminded as we gather around this table that a part of our call is to join in what the Spirit of God is doing and helping to bring wholeness into our world and into our community 
to bring shalom, to be witnesses and reflections of Jesus. Amen?